Hi, Justine. Hi. (laughs) I have to apologize in advance because I am so stir crazy. I might talk way too much today. Okay. It normally happens anyway. (laughs) I also uh, was like, I was on a rampage because I am like craving something sweet, like a piece of chocolate or a Girl Scout. Oh, and there's no way that that's in our parents' house. Nothing to be found. I finally found a Diet Coke and I think that's like tiding me over. There's definitely some half used jars of frosting from when I made cupcakes over the weekend. So if you're really needing something. It was, it was like more of a chocolate thing. And the only thing in the house was like semi-sweet baking chocolate chips, which is like not ever the solution you want. No, never. It's like there. Anyway, how are you? Disappointing. I'm good. Um, for those of you listening, first of all, we're here for it. Um, <laughs> second of all, I am <laughs> I'm currently back in my house in LA, and the day that I left, Justine actually took over there, so we kind of switched places at our parents' house. I know it's so weird, but I'm good. I'm just busy, but you know, I will say that Ella got. Ella got our room very organized for me. It's mm-hmm. everything is in a very tidy place. And now there's like a lot of floor space, which is helpful because I'm stuck in this room. So I'm like Laura Connor and Terminator 2, just like working out ready for the day when I have to get out and like fight to survive. <laughs> Taking like kickboxing classes online and just like doing crunches <laughs> and like getting ready. Well, the weird thing about that room is that it's not huge, but it's eventually going to be a guest room, but it's kind of like a weird in-between. So there's still like a desk in there and like a big dresser, things that wouldn't be there when it's eventually a guest room, but with a queen size bed, like the bed is the only thing that's an updated. So for a minute while I was there, it was like in the center of the room and I could not get around anywhere. So I had to. Yeah, you couldn't get anywhere. anywhere. No, it's much better now. There's a lot of floors, a lot of dancing space. That's good. Breaking out in full routines. Yeah, full routines. Oh, that's so good to hear. <laughs> so how have you been keeping yourself entertained? Great question. And actually, this leads me to some updates I have for you. Okay. The listeners, Ella and I are worried that this podcast is ruining our friendship because <laughs> we keep giving all of the stuff we want to talk about for recording and then it's upsetting all the other times that we need to talk. Right. We'll, um, we'll call each other and want to talk about something and then be like, oh, wait, no, we need to stop. We need to save this for the podcast. Right. Save this, save this for the pod. Um, I have been watching Summer House on Bravo. Oh, okay. The only time I ever saw that was at your house. So, so, so I started watching a couple years ago with my housemate and I loved it, but I obviously hadn't been watching it from the beginning. So I've started from like episode one and it is the most excellent amount of chaos that I didn't know I needed. After I finished Rizzoli and Isles and cried my eyes out at the series finale and update for you, watched all of Bridgerton. You watched all of Bridgerton finally? Yes, I watched all of Bridgerton. I watched it in like two. I actually, I actually stopped watching Rizzoli and Isles and watched all of Bridgerton over Valentine's slash President's Day weekend and then kept watching Rizzoli and Isles. Was Bridgerton everything you hoped and dreamed? You know, it's so funny. We've talked about this a little bit. But you know how I feel about when people tell you to watch things. 
know about there's been this trend in um, sort of historical fiction television that's specifically the kind of so it's specifically like historical romance like romances or romantic comedies that take place in the sort of Jane Austen time period mm-hmm. in which there's been this trend recently to almost make everything like a hyper parody right everything's really amplified mm-hmm. and then it's like violin like a and like all the like there's like it's almost like hyper choreographed because it'll be like all the heads turn at once and you're like what's going on and like they didn't do that to as much as I expected them to which was really good okay still like a little bit of that like undertone in it which has been really bothering me as like a trend in in that type of I don't even know what that like genre is of I don't know but like like Emma the the version of Emma that just came out in 2020 is like the most extreme version of that that I can think of right like everything's hyper choreographed and there's just like that severe violin music going on all the time Um, but no it was good it was really good um I did not love how sexual it was oh no that was fine (laughs) Um, no, I, what I didn't love, and this is clearly, like, I think I would maybe need to read the books to, like, understand a little more of the context here, but what I didn't love was this idea that all of the girls were so uneducated about what actually takes place right. during sex. Like, they, like, I don't even think they would know what the word sex was. See, that's so funny because I thought it was so interesting, like, I thought that was such an interesting plot line. It is an interesting plot line, but I feel like of all the things that's fictionalized, I think that's the one that I don't believe is real. Like, do I think that, like, proper society ladies were, like, gentle ladies were very naive? Absolutely. But I don't think that they were so completely... Um. I don't think they were so completely naive or uneducated to not even know anything about what was going on. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, I don't know. This, You're a lot more educated on that time period than I am, but I just thought it was such an interesting plot line. Yeah, I mean, because like there's, if you read like historical novels from that time, like if you read a Jane Austen novel, there's a lot about like kissing and how like kissing is like very scandalous because kissing leads to. Right making babies right and like they don't obviously like Jane Austen never went into like descriptors like she that's not the kind of novel she wrote and also like she was unmarried so she's probably a virgin her entire life but like you all get the impression that Jane Austen absolutely knew what was up yeah and like I was talking to my housemate about this because it is really fascinating like the way they play that out is really interesting and obviously like the storyline of like a girl not knowing what it like what it actually takes to get pregnant. Like that's very interesting mm-hmm. in terms of like how they play that out quickly and, and in terms of who has the power in the relationship. Like there, like that, there, there was a lot that was very interesting there. But what my housemate was saying is there of the three of us, she was the one that hadn't watched Bridgerton. She was like, what's interesting about what you're telling me is that I don't know of a single generation in which there wasn't like one girl in the group that figured it out early, right? Like. <laughs> yeah <laughs> your group of friends growing up and like there's always like there's always one girl that knows yeah and 
doesn't know she's curious enough that she figures it out like right not she's a lot more of like she figures it out like she asks questions she investigates like there's always one girl that knows what's up right you're right well i'm glad you watched it nevertheless Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, I, I feel like we talked about this, but the main guy in it, the one that everyone's obsessed with right now. Reggae Jean Page. Yeah, he was in that show for the people, that show. Mm-hmm. And I loved that show and I was so mad that it didn't last more than a season. So down to watch anything he's in. Well, okay. You could not have set me up more perfectly because things, this is my, I have a notes app list called mm-hmm. things to mention on the pod. Mm-hmm. One of them is the SNL sketch from when he hosted this weekend, <laughs> the driver's license SNL sketch. The dress that was it. I was laughing so hard because it's so accurate. I was like, Justine and I have that it had that exact same conversation. Like it's well, we so had that conversation. And what's so funny is that I was in the car today listening to the new Taylor Swift Evermore album mm-hmm. about specifically that one line in that sketch where they're like, it's very like Taylor. And they're like, yeah, but then Taylor stopped writing autobiographies. <laughs> and look at where her music's at now. And it's so like, yes. I like immediately thought of that sketch. Like it wasn't even like I was thinking about Taylor. It was just so funny. Also some backstory as well, because at this point, this podcast is basically just an Olivia Rodrigo um, podcast <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, it was her 18th birthday, the day that sketch like the day that premiered, so she was freaking out on the internet. I was just very happy for her. The next day, Joshua Bassett posted TikTok that it was like, oh my God, I was on Saturday Night Live last night. And then it's him watching it and Casey Musgraves happy and sad playing in the background. And I was laughing so hard and I was like, I mean, he's self-aware. Like, I mean, well, what was so funny about it is you and I had just talked about how... Mm-hmm was over the drama right in that sketch they like bring up the drama again I know I was like I swear to god that if Josh and Sabrina go like off the deep end because of this stupid SNL sketch like I heard rumors anymore I heard rumors they might have broken up but anyway we're not that shock me shock me (laughs) whoa but you know who did get together this week or at least publicly got together and I'm kind of obsessed with Okay, I think I know what you're going to say. Okay, so ever since V. Hudge and Austin Butler broke up, I have been in need of a new spooky couple in Hollywood. They were literally, they were like my Hollywood mom and dad. So Mm. who replaces them in my mind as the spookiest couple in Hollywood? Lucy Hale and Skeet Ulrich. (laughs) I would, this is on my list to discuss with you too, because I, like, I, I have no words. I'm obsessed. I love it. I don't get it. It's weird, but I love it. And also the internet's freaking out about how it's literally the Archie universe. And I was like, that makes it even better. It makes it weirder for (laughs) sure. I just, I mean, I don't know. We've talked about this like a little bit Mm -hmm. in terms of like age. Mm -hmm mattering but like at the same time like if he could play your dad on tv I mean that's true I don't know I it's weird like when I heard I literally was like what are you talking about that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard but I've been like genuinely thinking about it for a few days and I'm really into it and I hope it works out for both of them 
I mean, look, I'm here for Lucy Hale to find some love. And in fact, I was, it's not like I ever even tried to watch Katie Keen, but I am sad that like all of her shows after Pretty Little Liars have fallen through because right. I did try and watch a couple of them. You know, like I've, mm-hmm. I've been a Lucy Hale fan because I, right. I, I think actress. we're Lucy Hale fans. We just want her to, we just want her to thrive. Yeah, I did stop following her recently because I was just kind of tired of seeing her stuff and also because of something she posted about our topic today. So we well, can get that in a minute. Okay. Um, I have two more things for you that I wanted to mention. I have a couple other things as well. Okay. Well, first, I kind of briefly talked to you about this, but I watched the documentary on Netflix or the docuseries about the Cecil Hotel and the disappearance of Elisa Lam. Um, I think this is super interesting because I don't like I know you're not a super big like unsolved person and I like I don't really see the Elisa Lam case being one that you're super into but it's one that I like kind of knew about but there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about. Um, Like it was really interesting and there was so much that I didn't know. However, it had cheesy semi-cheesy reenactments and like voiceovers like style kind of like forensic files but a little bit less it was it was more subtle but the thing that I think was and I see what they were trying to do but it made me uncomfortable was like Elisa Lam was a writer she had like a tumblr blog where she would write stuff and so they just mm-hmm. had like someone voicing over all of her stuff she wrote uh yeah. and it made me so uncomfortable I it felt personal it yes. felt it, it felt icky so if that's not something you're into listeners please don't watch it actually this brings up a question about okay. that I've really I just realized I've always had I think I made an assumption about this okay but in the docu-series I'll be gone in the dark about the writing and investigation by Michelle Mac- McNamara about the Golden State Killer and writing her book, mm-hmm. there is voiceover of those two, and I always assumed it was Michelle McNamara's voice. But like, like, did she record her own? I have no idea. I actually okay. haven't watched that docu series yet. Oh, it's good. I know. It starts off good things like kind of tedious, but it gets real. There's one part that was like genuinely spooky. So yeah, I just I haven't watched it yet, but um, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if she had recorded it because she was like so open and in the public. But I don't know. Right. I mean, and she was already like she already had a blog and she was like mm-hmm. writing this book and like making these things. I'd have to look that up, but that's yeah. because they do that quite a bit in it. And I'm wondering if they actually had real recordings. I like I can't imagine that nozzle to sign yeah. off on So that's the other thing is that like she was a reporter. And so I feel like I wouldn't have a problem with that kind of like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously she unfortunately is passed, so it wouldn't be, so it's still a little bit like iffy, but like it felt really weird, the Elise Lamb stuff, because she was just like the victim and they were talking about her disappearance and reading about her writing about her mental illness. And I get wanting to share it from her point of view, but it also just felt really intimate. And I was just not, I was not into that. Well, that's, I mean, I would be really interested to hear your take then on All Be Gone in the Dark because they also, like, that's the other thing about it is that it gets into Michelle's, like, life and sort of how she started spiraling out of control. And, and again, like, I think, I don't see Patton Oswalt, like, letting, they, they obviously took such good care with her 
story in her life. I don't think he would let just like some rando person like narrate that. Yeah. It also would be like, I would, I need to look because that is an interesting question. I don't know the answer. I know. Your other thing you want to talk about. Okay. This one's stupid, but I was just going about my day and I remembered a Gen Z term that I just wanted to see if you knew what it was. Cause I think that you would find it interesting. Do you know what Rick rolling is? To Rick roll someone? <laughs> I feel like I've heard that, but I don't know if I could tell you what it meant. Okay. So basically what it is, is you essentially trick someone into listening to Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. Like, you'll be like, oh my gosh, you have to check out this video. Like, it's so insane. Like, I can't believe this person did it. And then all of a sudden it's like, never gonna give you up. <laughs> I like, I don't under, like, what, what is wrong with you? I don't, I, it's not me. What is wrong with you people? Uh, you know what? It's so funny that you say that because I actually, this is reminding me that my friend sent me a question to ask you that I haven't asked you yet. And also um, that we were looking at sort of like the pictures and stuff that have come out and like the articles that have come out about the um, the Gossip Girl reboot. Right. And I have to be, be honest, like I'm a little scared it's going to be like super Gen Z. <laughs> like, you will be super Gen Z. It. I think you're going to be super uncomfy. And I think I'll even be a little uncomfy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have a question for you. That is, this, this was a write-in from a friend. She, okay. she said, this may or may not be a question. Okay. So I don't know if this is a Gen Z question, or like a question you can answer. I can try. Why are people you heard unalive instead of dead on social media? Can Why you- are people using the word unalive instead of dead on social media? I've literally never heard that. Like, I've never heard of someone doing that. All right. Maybe it's a millennial thing. (laughs) Never mind. You have no answers. I have no answers. I can do some research, but I have not heard of that. Um, Okay. So real quick. I mean, there's like other like pop culture-y things that have happened that we could talk about, though I just... Don't feel like we need to, but I did want to follow up because I remember at one point or maybe several points, we were talking about the Sex and the City reboot. Okay. And I was voicing my concerns about the fact that Samantha is not going to be on it, not because I needed Samantha to be on it, but because I needed them to do it in the right way Mm -hmm. because I can't emotionally handle four friends just not being friends anymore. Okay. And I said, I'd rather have Samantha be dead because, I mean, her character has already battled cancer before and like, it just makes more sense. And like their relationship was always so strong and that was the point of the show. And recently the producers have basically said that like relationships move on and you don't stay with some like friends with someone forever. And that was really upsetting. And then the internet was all a flurry because they also announced that the guy who plays Mr. Big wasn't going to be on it either. Mr. Big is who like Carrie ends up with, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. And that she was going to like get back together with her like 
true love. So everyone's like, oh my God, it's Aiden coming back. And I just feel like people are missing the point of the show, which is that it's never been about who Carrie ends up with. It was always about their friendship, the four girls, and how it stood the test of time and their relationship to them and their friends and the men in their lives in the city. And so I just think that the fact that people are getting like, like this whole like team Aiden team big thing is the dumbest thing ever. Because first of all, I, I recognize that I'm the only person in the world that hates Aiden. And it's not that I hate Aiden. It's that I hated Aiden for Carrie. I don't think they're good together. I don't think they should be together. People can get over themselves. But then also like, I don't care if she's with Big or not, but like the point of that show was never for her to like, like it, that was never the point. And like the show ends, like, yeah, she gets together with Big, but like the whole, like what really truly happens at the end of that show is that she realizes that she, like she's with a guy that's not right for her in a, in a city that's not right for her. And she realizes that she's like forgotten herself and she like finds herself again and like runs out and like, yeah, Big is there to meet her, but it's more of like her realizing like, I have to get back to my girls. I have to get back to my city. I have to get back to myself. And so I don't care if Big is on it, but I'm still so mad that the way that they're choosing to write Samantha off the show is to have their friendship ending. Like I just, I don't even care about the show that much, but it's really bothering me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I... No matter how many times I've said I'm going to watch the show, I still haven't. So I can't speak to um, that much of it. But I, I do understand how frustrating that is when they treat characters like that, that you're literally just like, what's the point? Like, you really did us dirty like that. Right. Right. I mean, like, what's the, yeah, exactly. What's the point? Well, geez. Um, I am sorry to hear that news. <laughs> It's okay. Doesn't it make you like super want to watch the show now? So much. I just want to watch it so then I can watch the reboot and be totally disappointed. I will say that I, what it does is it makes me really miss New York and don't even get me started. Watching Summer House also has made me really miss New York and miss New York specifically in the summer. I miss being on the East coast in cities in the summer for those of you who don't know, I had tickets to visit New York. We were supposed to leave on March 15th of 2020. Um, of course, we did not go and we still have the credit for our tickets, but I really want to go so bad. <laughs> I've been waiting for so long, but it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Well, what are we here Something to do? will be free like Brittany. <laughs> oh my God. So that was... <laughs> So our topic today is hashtag free Britney. I'm so good at segues. You're so good at, did you know that segue is spelled S-E-G-U-E? Yes. That's weird to me. Which is not like the segues that you can ride. I thought they were the same. <laughs> when- were you today years old when you learned that? Um, I wasn't today years old. I was two months ago years old got it got it um okay so we're here to talk about free britney yeah 
free Britney. And there are like, of course, other podcasts that are like so many others free Britney. Yeah. So many others. We're just here to give our opinions because we are going to be team Britney. I think always. Yeah. I mean, no matter the situation, we're team Britney. We will talk about this later on too, but like a huge part of the conversation about freeing Britney and about the framing of Britney and the way Britney has been treated also relates strongly to other female celebrities. Definitely. Been mistreated. So we'll like, we're here for freeing Britney, but we're also here for freeing a slew of other female celebrities. Absolutely. Um, so Justine, I'm really curious about this because I feel like Britney Spears is actually kind of the perfect topic that really shows our age and like <laughs> our kind of difference of opinion. So I'd love to hear kind of you, your experience with Britney Spears, what she means to you, your faves, all that. Like, what is Britney to you? Oh my gosh. Um, were you really not expecting that question? <laughs> I was, but I'm, you know, what's funny is I'm trying to remember like I don't remember when I first heard Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. I remember being in elementary school. I remember being at friends' houses and dancing to like hit me baby one more time. I think that might've been, I think like one of the friends' houses, like that might've been the first time I'd heard a Britney song because she already knew the dance to it. Like I remember being it playing, like like people just being so obsessed with Britney and it was also, I mean, that's around the same time as like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and stuff. And so the, it was very much of the same era for me. Um, I absolutely loved Britney. Like I was a Britney fan. I am a Britney fan. I don't think I've ever not been a Britney fan because there, no matter what's happened or like, and we can talk about this too, is like there was definitely a lot of her pitted against like Christina Aguilera and it was very much like well Christina is a better singer so like why would you like Britney and it was like well, that's never been the point like the point about Britney songs was never that they were like amazing vocals like I didn't I don't sing to ballads you know like I right. belong to Britney Spears because you could like make up dances to them and like blast them and just like have so much fun and like even in high school this is so nerdy but in high school, my friends and I would just like open all the windows in our living room and just blast Britney on the stereo and like dance in the front yard. Like we would just like have so much fun just like hanging out and like dancing to Britney. And even now, like I was at an event, like socially distanced COVID safe event the other day, but like a Britney song came on and everybody got into it. Like Obviously. everybody got into it because she's just, she's iconic. She's very much of our sort of generation. She's like our person. And like, I also think too, that like, again, she's never not been someone, like I've always wanted to see Britney in concert. Even when I was like, oh, she's not like her dancing is not like it used to be, or her singing is not super great. Like I, I so badly wanted to see Britney in Vegas. Oh, I know. Yeah. I feel like that that makes sense. Like you were you were literally like in middle school when it all was like Yeah, and when she when it started to spiral as I feel like around the time that she started to spiral was also the time that a lot of female celebrities started to spiral. Right. And like, there's a lot I of reasons that. for that. Like there's right? so like I <laughs> I lived that 
like I was there, like, you know, like that was, and that was what was happening in pop culture. It was like, right. you were like 16. Up. Of course you were invested in right, it. Like Brittany got married in, in divorce in 24 hours. Now Brittany's with Kevin Federline, like Brittany and Kevin chaotic, the TV, the, the reality show was a thing that I actively watched. Like, mm-hmm. like those were things that were really happening in real time that we were like, Oh my God, she's in a car. Like, and there's that whole saying of like, if Brittany can get through 2007, you can get through anything. And like, that was really like, a real thing that we said and did and like, mm-hmm. and do live. Right. I think, I think it's so cool and interesting. I feel like my, my like opinion of Britney Spears is, I mean, obviously I think a lot of it's like influenced by you, obviously, because if you were playing Britney and stuff, I was obviously listening to it and everything, but you know, in 2007, I was like seven. So the only things I would have been hearing about her were the negative things, right? It's not like I was watching Britney, Kevin Chaotic. Like, so it was very like, this girl is psycho, whatever. But also her songs are bops. Why wouldn't we all be listening to them? And I was kind of, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the documentary and everything. And I actually, in typical Ella fashion, I actually went back and I watched the glee episode where they do britney spears the first one where britney spears is actually in it because i was just trying to remember like exactly how it was addressed because that came out in 2010 so it was like after everything Mm -hmm. but things still weren't like amazing you know and i think that is actually the first example i saw of britney spears being like powerful and being important and like teaching lessons about you know, your mental health and your self-expression, everything. Cause I think up until that point, I had just kind of heard like, she's a bad influence. She, she's crazy. She did this, this, and this. Um, and you so remind me in that Glee episode, was that the one where it was like, it's okay to show our sexuality and we're going to do that by singing Britney songs. That was definitely part of it. Um, yeah. Like Rachel Berry shows up to school, just wearing like the, the schoolgirl outfit. Cause she's like, I'm okay. Like being who I am and I'm going to, I'm going to express myself. And um, obviously there's a lot of other things to it, but a lot of the characters just kind of explain like, she's the reason I want to be a performer. She made me feel okay wearing what I want and doing what I want. So um, I think interestingly and not surprisingly enough in typical Ella fashion, that was the first example I saw of her being kind of that role model and not just a crazy Mm -hmm. person on, Mm -hmm. on, on TV. So I think that's kind of really my experience with Britney and I I frankly didn't know anything I mean obviously I knew about like the shaving her head and craziness but all the conservatorship and everything I had no idea any of that was happening because I was just young when it happened so why would I know Mm -hmm. until this point well what's upsetting for me too is that like as much as I've been a Britney fan like like I had to really recognize that like I believed that she was not mentally stable Mm -hmm. believed like I wasn't oh my god she's violent or you know like it not like nothing like that but like I remember a year or so ago when her Instagram was like weird yeah and I remember being like oh like Britney's doing okay like I'm so excited to see that she's doing Mm -hmm. okay and like the fact of the matter is she there was a lot of things that you know kind of led her to the point and led the media to believe that she was not stable or dealing with you know, any sort of, or that made us all believe that she is, and she probably is dealing with a lot of those things, but it's also not 
there's so many factors that go into it and there's about how we, but then it's something that I like, you know, a year or so ago, literally on Instagram was when I was like, Oh, she's doing okay. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me that like, during all the time I didn't think she was okay. She was like doing a really successful Vegas show. Right. Like that, like, it's so weird to me that like those two things didn't add up in my brain of like, she's actually like thriving in her profession. Just because she was, she wasn't. I don't think that these two things add up. Like that's yeah. Crazy. Right. And I think, I mean, I, we, we can't really like, I mean, and we can go into this, but I think a big part of kind of our association with her and that, and, you know, just because she's not releasing top singles every other or every six months, that's kind of like our association with like not doing well. And I think a lot of that has to do with the conversation around mental health in 2007 is like, light years away from what it is now and obviously there's still so much more work that needs to be done with mental health in the media but comparatively it's it's completely uh-huh. night and day um mm-hmm. and I think that that's a really big part of it and our perception of her even to this day because you know you and I are both you know we try to keep ourselves relatively informed and open about mental health issues mm-hmm. but even that like we're still influenced by the things we heard about her in 2007 you know yeah, well, I also think too, like, like I don't know if she had a like a drug problem, but like I know, for example, like let's use a different celebrity. Let's use Amanda Bynes, for example. We now know that like what happened to Amanda Bynes is that she got addicted to things like speed because she was trying to lose weight to be what the mm-hmm. meat her to be or what she felt like she needed to be and I think it's easier to assume that she's bipolar or has some sort of mental health condition than to say like oh she's a drug addict you know like it's mm-hmm. to say like oh she's just crazy and she needs help and needs to be like in a situation where someone's like supervising her all the time than to be like oh she's having like she has a drug problem. And like, again, there are definitely people that have mental health issues. And like, that is something we absolutely need to talk about and make less taboo. But like the answer can't just be, oh, she went crazy. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I think it's, we need to have an open and honest conversation about like one, what's causing this spiral. Right. She have it like, you know, like is like if Brittany had postpartum, that's like a real thing that we need to talk about. Right. And was being stalked and attacked daily. By. during her postpartum depression right right like and yeah maybe she did do a drug or two with Paris Hilton maybe she did but like the point being she didn't she's not crazy no. like things happened that led her to a like a, a series of things occurred that led us to believe that but like has yeah. it there aren't days where I want to take a umbrella to someone's car I know you would Uh, Yeah, totally. Um, And I think that, I mean, obviously the Framing Britney Spears kind of documentary by the New York Times is obviously very much on the side of free Britney and that. And obviously we don't, we, there's a lot of like mental health professionals and people who worked with her while all of this was happening that we didn't hear from. So who really knows what's going on? And they, they talk about that in the mm-hmm. documentary, right? They said like, there's a lot of stuff we don't know and who knows what it says. 
And, you know, until, I mean, and this is kind of my opinion and maybe it's naive, but until I have that kind of information, like this is the information I'm being presented, like what's presented in documentaries like this, that, and that's kind of where I'm choosing to lie my, my beliefs on the whole situation. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's sad. It's heartbreaking because none of this would happen if she was. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah. I mean, who's to say what we like, we obviously don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Like we can, we know what they talked about in the documentary. We know what's being like, what her boyfriend has sort of casually said of like the way her dad treats their relationship kind of thing, you know, like we know those big things. We know that like Brittany has said she doesn't want him as the conservator. We know that there's a restraining order between her dad and Kevin Butterline and the boys, like her sons, an incident that happened. So we know that things aren't great there. Right. We obviously don't know everything. We don't, we don't know everything. Can't make a hundred percent like judgments on that. But I think you're right in that what we have to go off of is like, she needs help and she needs to be out of the situation she's in. That's the information we have. And I mean, I really can't get past this idea that like for like of the 13 years that she's been in this conservatorship or 11 or year, whatever it is, 11 or 13 years, like eight or nine of them, she was thriving in Vegas with like a couple of albums. Mm -hmm. That's so much work that she was doing. Maybe she wasn't doing it. Like maybe she didn't want to be doing it. Maybe someone was forcing her or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is that she was doing it and suddenly she's not, she's not doing it. Everyone said it was because her dad was sick. Who knows what the real case is, but like a conservatorship is not for someone who can actively take a like be running multiple Vegas shows and making albums. Right. And there's that, I think the, the part of the entire documentary that like, I, I mean, there's so many things that really stick out. It's just disturbing and awful, but the part when I was rewatching it this morning, that just really stuck out with me as just like so terrible is when the co-conservator whose name I'm forgetting, not her dad, um, basically requested more money saying that she is a high functioning conservator and that this should be treated more as a business deal. And I was Mm -hmm. like, like, it's a business, like it's a business, like you owning her life is a business. Mm -hmm. Like that was the part that really stuck with me of like, how is this getting past a judge? Mm -hmm. How is like petitions to, for her to be released from the conservatorship? Not like it's, it's absurd to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's absolutely what hit me as well. I, it's so funny, you know, I, like, I didn't know where this discussion was going to go originally when we talked about talking about this, because before I had watched it, I had talked to you and our parents who had watched it with you. Mm -hmm. What seemed to stand out to them was the sort of over-sexualization of Brittany Mm -hmm. and the, feminist perspective yeah um like I don't think that's ever been a question for like I always knew Brittany was mistreated right like right and also I mean this is gonna sound very pessimistic but 
like my entire life women have been treated like that in the media that's not shocking to me you know looking at it back it's awful and looking at you know interviews of her as a little kid and people asking about her sexuality even then obviously it's disgusting but it doesn't shock me because I'm pretty sure a a good amount of women in Hollywood probably the majority of women who are public figures in Hollywood have been treated in that way in some capacity or at least women who look like her in the traditional sense you know there's a a lot of oh yeah I mean I just but I said this when we were talking about it the other day which was I can it like if I had a nickel for every time someone said like like if you talked about Britney when I was younger and someone said like oh well like she's not as talented as she's like a slutty less talented Christina you know like right Christina didn't also record dirty and all of the other like genie in a bottle like come on and again like who cares because the at the end of the day like if a woman wants to claim her sexuality like do it I can't name a single girl or woman that doesn't get on the dance floor for hit me baby one more time or and or toxic or any of the Britney songs that like name them, name a Britney song. Everybody gets on the floor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that's really interesting. What kind of stuck out to our parents and then what stuck out to both of us separately mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I took some notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> some of them are funny things that stuck out to me. And some of them are just like, what the fuck moments. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through them and I would love Please to hear do. your opinions. So Please do. First things first, Brittany was obviously Brittany's an amazing dancer. We've known that like in terms of, of pop stars and women in pop, that's one of the things that sets her above Christina Aguilar and all these other people. Oh, hundred percent. And I've always said that as an yeah. argument on her behalf, which was like, she's when an amazing dancer. The like, well, Christina's a better singer. I was like, but Brittany's a better dancer. And yeah. that's even because that's what mattered to me. Right. But But she also did this thing that I was noticing that she was kind of part of this wave of like the casual hip hop movement where, Mm -hmm. you know, she was kind of opposite like Missy Elliott, where, you know, it was just this like really intense, not intense, Missy Elliott, even at the time was just so, she's so talented that she's just like Mm -hmm. chilling. But Mm -hmm. Britney does this thing where it looks like she's not even dancing because she's literally just so cool about it. She's And it's just like, it's so cool. It's so cool that I was just like, uh, oh uh-huh. my God, you're amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's a really, like, Brittany's a really good dancer. And I think, mm-hmm. I will say this, and I don't, I wish I knew the years. I should have looked this up. But before the real sort of downward spiral as we know it in the media happened, Brittany was performing and she was supposed to do this trick on a chair. I think it was in the slave for you dance, but I don't actually know. And she hurt her knee. She was, she fell and was really injured and hurt her knee. And it took her out like for a while performance. Like she had to get surgery and it greatly impacted her ability to dance and sort of come back from that. And then around that time is also when she met Kevin. And I think those two things sort of paired together, like needing to take a break to recover trying to get back physically into like the way she could dance before and like again like you could there's performances that you can watch after that happened when she was better where she looks unsure of herself on stage and you can tell it's because she's scared of falling again like you can tell like 
you've had a dance injury, you know, when you get back up and you're like, yeah, a hundred percent sure or confident you used to be there. That's that also happened around the same time that like the quote unquote quote downward spiral happened. So I think those, I do want to say like, to your point about her being a really good dancer and like, there's something being something so natural about it is that like, that was also a piece of this is that Mm -hmm. she sort of lost what felt natural to her. And at times where people were like, oh my God, she's doing so much better. Were times where she was actually, there was a while where she was assistant, like guest dance, like teaching hip hop classes Mm -hmm. at like studios in LA. And it was like, oh, Britney's back. Like she's teaching, like she's never, she was like never happier than when she was like teaching a hip hop class. Yeah. Well, she's just so talented. So that was one thing. Another thing, um, in one of the clips of like one of her really early concerts, mm-hmm. there was a clip of a girl who they were like like fans or whatever. And she said, I love the way she moves and grooves. And I just lost it. I was laughing out loud because that's the funniest thing I've ever heard like a 13-year-old say. Um, okay, this one I'm really interested on your opinion. So mm-hmm. The documentary kind of starts out with this woman whose name I'm forgetting. I'm terrible with names. Who's her assistant? Felicia. Felicia. So Mm -hmm. this relationship is so odd to me because it feels like that relationship and kind of the way that Felicia explained it, and especially in its beginnings and trying to establish what the relationship really was, in my opinion, honestly, kind of establishes that Brittany needed extra care from the beginning because she says, I wasn't her mom. I wasn't her older sister. I wasn't her partner. I was just kind of like, she uses like her special friend and then goes with assistant. Like the way that she kind of described it of having this like older friend that wasn't a parent figure, but kind of a parental figure to like help you navigate through life to me almost sounded similarly to having kind of obviously nowhere near a conservatorship, but kind of needing that extra support on day-to-day life. And maybe I'm just interpreting that wrong, but that was kind of my interpretation. So interesting. So that's not how I interpreted that. Okay. Here's why. Because Brittany was a kid, right? Right. She was a kid. And it's very, it's, it's not dissimilar in some ways to when the Mickey Mouse Club was happening and Ryan Gosling actually lived with Justin Timberlake and his mom because Ryan Gosling was from Canada and his mom couldn't come down and live with him and be his chaperone. Okay, so you think it was more just like chaperone because- And if you think about the fact that the Spears has had, I think three kids because Brittany has a brother and Jamie Lynn Mm -hmm. and would have been really little. I don't think Lynn Spears- was in a like I don't think either parent was in a place to be full-time with Brittany while she was going to New York and going down to Florida to film the Mickey Mouse Club like Mm -hmm. I don't think that was their life and I think that that it was it's not uncommon and particularly at that time like I think I would need to do the research on this but I feel like it would not have been uncommon to have a family friend or someone that you like an aunt or someone you really trusted be the sort of chaperone person okay. and obviously they like she was Britney's person as she was growing up once Britney hit 18 she clearly didn't need a chaperone anymore but if that person has always sort of been there as your assistant slash like making sure like 
your life is together while you're flying all over the place and is your sort of support system, I could see that still being maintained. Mm -hmm. I, that's just so interesting. And I think that probably makes more sense. I think just kind of the way that she was describing it and the different kind of words she used of being like, I'm not this, but I'm Mm -hmm. not this. It seemed odd to me and it's, but I'm, I'm sure that was just kind of me. I mean, maybe that is the case, but I I didn't get that impression. I didn't get that impression the first time, but I think in my second time when I was really hyper-focusing in on things, I may have been looking for something that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing, and we've obviously talked about this, so we don't need to talk that much about it, but I just truly think that it's so interesting to look at it in terms of like the war on female sexuality and in... Um, and, and really comparing it to the, the very relevant at the time, like Monica Lewinsky stuff. And I'm just, I, I think it's so interesting to look at everything that was happening in the world and the United States at the time. And it also made me really excited for the hopefully that they'll actually go through with it when they do the Monica Lewinsky biopic series. And I really hope they're actually going through with it. I, if you haven't listened to it, season two of the podcast Slow Burn is about the Clinton Lewinsky saga scandal. Um, I would highly recommend it because it, it's similar to what you're saying. It really puts in a new light kind of what Monica went through and also what even like, cause the other thing, Oh my God, what's her name? Linda, Lydia, Linda Tripp. But basically the woman that ratted her out, mm-hmm. that confided in, that ratted her out, has always been portrayed as like this evil snake woman. And maybe she was, but it also like that this woman was like, if this was my daughter, I would want someone to step in, right? right. Like she, she was enough years older than Monica that she was this, like Monica was either like her younger sister or like a daughter kind of level. And it was like, if this was happening to my daughter, I would want someone to step in. Right. And so like, again, with the media and the villainizing and sexualization of women and sort of treating them like they're villains because they're sexual or because they have an active sex life, like that is very much of the time, that, that's very much of the time and has continued. Um, but I feel like the late nineties really kicked off this. Definitely. It's God, it's so funny. I am, I was, this is the part I was really interested to hear your thoughts on because we've been talking about dating shows from the early two thousands and how utterly ridiculous they are. If you think <laughs> now. Right. And I was listening to pod save America the other day and they made a joke about well, they made a joke about Ted Cruz going to Cancun, but they called it Ted Gone Wild. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the show, like Girls Gone Wild. Mm-hmm. And, or like, do you remember that this, you probably don't remember this, this was in the early 2000s as well, but like besides Girls Gone Wild, there was also like um, the show about all the like, the girls that live at the Playboy Mansion. I don't remember there being a show about that, but that's fun. I would watch that show. God, I can't remember what it's called. It, oh my God. I'm, this is going to, it's going to kill me that I don't remember what it's called, but there, like, there was a whole show, like a whole TV show. Right. 
like people became fans of, and like some of those girls became celebrities in and of themselves. Like some of those, and then had spinoff shows, like when they left the mansion and like moved on with their lives and got married or people that we like followed as celebrities, the same way we followed Paris Hilton and Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you even look at it in context of like, you know, comparable in music, looking at like the pussycat dolls around that time, like there, it's just so interesting to kind of see the war on sexual girls next door is what the Playboy Mansion show is. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. And that show aired in 2005. Okay. there was a whole genre of just sort of hyper-sexualizing women mm-hmm. buying it in some ways, but also making it very clear that those women were not the sharpest tools in the shed. That right. like the girl, the women that were hypersexualized were not smart. And the ones that were smart were not hypersexualized, or they were villains. The ones that were smart were villains. No, I totally agree. And I think. Um, it's, it's just very interesting and looking at, um, what is happening in the world today and in the media with female sexuality and looking at how it's portrayed and comparing it to, you know, how Megan and Cardi and all these people are out here with their female sexuality. And I think that, you know, you could go even further into looking at how, um, that's also how their representation in the media and portrayal in the media is affected by their race as well. But that's a different episode um, in itself. But it's so interesting. And I hope that all of these women who were, you know, kind of villainized or objectified for their sexuality in the early 2000s are proud of where it's gone. You know, I mean, I can tell you that as someone who lived through it as a, not a child, like as a, as a, I mean, partly child, but like as someone that went through puberty during their <laughs> rings and went through high school and college all the way up until, you know, like I, like it was a genuine feeling of relief when the world embraced Lizzo Mm -hmm. because we didn't need to be we no longer needed to be and I'm not I I don't want to use this descriptor as like a negative thing but like I I have to use it as sort of like what Mm -hmm. this stereotype was like we no longer had to be Paris Hilton skinny right we didn't have to be sort of shapeless tiny where like wearing like the most high fashion is not the right word but you know what I mean like there wasn't yeah. specific there was finally someone breaking the mold and being accepted and welcomed outside of the mold right I think it's also why it's like why like we got so defensive about the whole like high-waisted jeans thing right like if you spent years trying to fit into low-waisted lace-up jeans lace up. I remember them. I remember them. Lace up. If you had to deal with that and you were not that body type or not a body type that worked well with that, like it, it is, it definitely gives you a moment of insecurity of like, I can't go through that again. Like I can't go through trying to fit myself into this 
this sort of look that I, that it's not attainable. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. And I think, you know, um, I attached myself to Lizzo for the same reasons. Um, also this is completely a side note, but I saw a TikTok the other day where someone was, I'm dressing up as a millennial. Oh, <laughs> they like did their makeup and like wore an outfit that a millennial would wear. And I was like, Justine would be in, she would be fuming if she saw this. You know, what's so funny is like, True to form, I've had multiple friends listen to our podcast and then text me and be like, I'm up in arms about it. <laughs> like, people have been like newly up in arms about this whole debate, which is so funny. It's hilarious. Um, um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess <laughs> what I was going to say is what I'm interested in hearing or what I have been interested in talking to you about is what you're learning in school about female sexuality and femininity in the media. Like, are things changing? Are, are we seeing big changes? Are there things that are still like not changing it? Like going at a glacial, what, what kind of conversations are you all having about this? I mean, it's so interesting to think about because I think there's so many different parts to it. And I think big part of it is that there's just so much more media and so many more ways for anyone to get involved with media. And I think that that's been instrumental in changing the image of what, you know, a woman in media looks like and what, you know, what you have to be to be successful. And I think so much of that is like, you're able to become successful on your own. You're able to be self-made truly for the first time. And I think that that's amazing. You know, you, you don't have to have money and be a size zero and, you know, look all these certain things just to get a contract. You can one day just post something on the internet and, you know, the right people see it. And that's amazing. Um, And so I think that that's been a big part of it, but I think that alternatively it's, it's caused problems because there's not one mainstream way of finding things anymore that it's it's hard to to know that there's being real concrete differences um and that there's real change being made because you know you can be in a pocket like I feel like I'm in a pocket of the internet that is very open about female sexuality and talking about all these different things and all these different ways to go about it but that doesn't mean that you know next the person I sit next to in class is seeing the same things at all um I will say my sophomore year of college so this was fall of 2018 um I was taking a women's studies class and we had a speaker come who it it was so interesting and I've I've cited her multiple times to this day and things that I've written with this idea of um anaconda feminism which was basically how Nicki Minaj has contributed to feminism in this new wave of feminism that is revolving around anaconda feminism and and really like examining the music video for anaconda and all these different things that Nicki Minaj has done and I think so much of what that was about is embraced um by so many people in the media today and I, I don't think that WAP would be possible without it and um, all these other things. So that was definitely like a big eye opener for me because it, it helped me connect the dots of what feminism is. Um, but again, that's, that's a pocket, you know, I, I seeked that out taking that course. And so 
I think just because things aren't aren't mainstreamed, it's harder to see that there's concrete proof and concrete change happening. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think you're so right about that. I was just thinking unrelated to femininity and feminism, but I was just thinking the other day about how positive TikTok is as compared to other forms of social media, because, you know, like I, the, because of what I see on TikTok, I see all these things that I am interested in and that I want to see. And I see all these people that have like a lot of followers who are like, this is an incredibly supportive community and mm-hmm. everyone, you feel so loved and you've been here for me, like through loss and through success and all of that. And But then it occurred to me as I had that thought, which was that like, but I'm not seeing other parts of TikTok, right? Like The TikTok algorithm is so weird. It is so accurate and scary. And (laughs) it's weird. And I mean, and it's also like, there's obviously problems with the algorithm. We've talked about it, right? But what I'm seeing because of the things I like and the things I follow are not, it's not everything, right? the stuff that I see is not gonna be the the negative horrible people in the world that are saying bad mean things and making the place unsafe for others so who knows um we there's a couple of women that we should probably talk about in terms of yes deserve an apology really quickly this is related no go for it (laughs) I just had to say it in the documentary it was kind of like mid craziness um Brittany goes out with our queens Lindsay and Paris Mm. and there is a headline that is called the bimbo summit and I'm just going to say, I would pay money to be in that car with them and attend the Bimbo Summit. I would pay money to be there with them. It looks so fun. Yeah. So that was also peak. Like, I think Lindsay Lohan had gotten pulled over like three or four times mm-hmm. for UIs and like intoxication. Like, that was also peak of her sort of like what the media was calling her spiral. Right. You know, like there was so much going on with Lindsay as well. That that was a never forget. Kind of nice. I, I, a couple of years ago, I watched like an old documentary about her, and um, about Lindsay. Yeah, and it was so interesting. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting. But you're right. There are some women we should apologize to. I have a few, and I'm sure you have a few. Do you want to start? Us yeah, off? actually, and I want to start a little further back than what we even talked about so far. And this brings me to kind of what you were, it occurred to me just now as you were talking about the difference between like how Brittany was talked about versus like Missy Elliott. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Alicia Keys. Okay. Who had what was sort of labeled a tomboy persona because she didn't wear what was considered sexy at the time. To the point that the media labeled her a lesbian, which is not a bad thing, but isn't how she identifies. Mm-hmm. And not a big deal. Like people made a big deal about it. And at the time, it was not as like cool beans to be open about your sexual orientation. Slash, she also wasn't a lesbian. That wasn't her identity. Right. She ended up leaving Hollywood. I think she went and traveled to Egypt and kind of just left the music industry for a couple of years 
came back, fell in love, all of that. Now she's the Alicia Keys we know and love and all of that. But like Alicia also deserves an apology for how she was treated based on her, how she presented her sexuality. Totally. And you can say very clearly that she paved the way for Billie Eilish, who has definitely, I think, been in the last two years instrumental in changing the face of women in Hollywood and 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 in music yeah in music Mm -hmm. like Billy has made huge differences but you're right Alicia deserves an apology Mm -hmm. um I think this one's a little bit less obvious I think Miley Cyrus deserves an apology because obviously she's still prevalent and she is speaking out and she's definitely embraced who she is and made it public but that treatment in the middle years and also the treatment of child stars, which is, I think, a, a reoccurring theme here, obviously, um, really messed her up. And it's not fair that she was treated the way she was. And I was a Miley stand through and through, but that doesn't mean that, you know, she, people didn't say she was a bad influence and maybe she was a bad influence, but also she's a person. Yeah. I mean, Janet Jackson. Yeah. Um, this one's a little bit different. Mary-Kate and Ashley. I was going to say them. They deserve an apology. They deserve an apology. They didn't want to be in Hollywood. People treated them like they were absolutely crazy, making mockeries of potential, um, illnesses they had. Mary-Kate went to rehab for her eating disorder. Mm -hmm. That should be enough to leave her alone. Yeah. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Clearly, there's something going on there that you you don't need to be involved in. Mm-hmm. I also think, too, and this is really, like, their story is really interesting because, one, they got genuinely interested in fashion. Mm-hmm. a whole unique thing for everybody. So the fact that they were considered crazy for, like, trying new fashions is, and are still kind of considered crazy for it. They are. Two, they didn't want to come back to Fuller House because they didn't want to do a reboot. They didn't want to be in Hollywood. They didn't want to be actresses. And Fuller House, like, made fun of and mocked them for it on the show. John Stamos said multiple things about it, like, maybe we'll get Elizabeth, blah, 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 blah. Like, lo and behold, turns out the guy who played their dad on the show is still really good friends with them and connects with them every time they're in the same city and they're like actually really close and we all should have been more worried about Lori Laughlin. <laughs> True. Spent a lot more time worrying about her. Everyone was all hunky-dory about Aunt Becky until you learn that she's actually like paying off college universities and getting cheating to get her daughters in. Yeah. Yeah. They deserve an apology. Um and I think they deserve more recognition for what they actually did. I think there's a there's a smaller group than, I mean, I think we both kind of understand it, you more than me, but they deserve a lot more recognition for what they did do. They were like the youngest self-made billionaires up until Kylie Jenner or something like that. Well, they owned a production company when they were four years old. Also, like, um, <laughs> applause to their parents who, like, Yes, like obviously supported, like got them into Hollywood, supported them through all of that, but like also let them choose when it was time to be done. Right. They weren't like forced to continue. And yeah. also something to aspire to because their whole, I, what I think is fascinating about them getting into fashion is that it all started with them looking for the perfect white t-shirt. Mm-hmm. 
couldn't find it, they made it. And then that was like the start of their fashion empire as we know it. And I think that's such a fascinating story about finding something you're passionate about in such an interesting way. Like, I think that should be inspiration. Not, they should not be villainized as crazy. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, of course, there's, like, the obvious ones with um, Lindsay Lohan and Amanda Bynes. They definitely got the the Britney Spears treatment um, and deserve apologies left and right. Um, I want to add Paris Hilton to that. Sure. Add Paris Hilton to it. I agree. They deserve a lot better. Um, I mean, Paris didn't have what was considered, like, a spiral in the same way, but she was clearly something else like there's clearly some abuse or something going on there and from going to the boarding school or whatever and she was completely hypersexualized um similarly to Nicole Richie who was also on the simple life with her yeah and Nicole Richie also developed eating disorders um from or at least rumored eating disorders from that show and the media portrayal and attention of her totally no, I, I completely agree. Wasn't Jessica Simpson kind of same time? Jessica Simpson absolutely deserves an apology. She deserves and an apology. Ashley Simpson deserves an apology. Ashley Simpson. Everybody deserves an apology. And while we're at it with Brittany, let's also apologize to Jamie Lynn. Let's apologize to Jamie Lynn. Jamie Lynn, Zoe 101 needed to end anyway, and I don't blame you. <laughs> well, okay, here's an interesting question that I heard a rumor of a couple of years ago when they first started this sort of debate about whether or not the conservatorship should still be legal and the push to free Britney from the conservatorship. I heard, maybe it was a couple of years ago, maybe it was a few months ago, I heard that they were going to have Jamie Lynn be the conservator or that Britney wanted Jamie Lynn to be the conservator. I didn't know that. That could just be a total wild rumor, but I've heard I that mean- to like take care of her sister. I mean, maybe, like, I mean, if you think about it, if you had this, like, thing that you knew maybe you needed and you knew maybe you didn't really have a way out of and you're just trying to think, like, best case scenario and what's going to be the best for you to have your freedom, I mean, having your sister do it is probably going to be that. Your sister who kind of understands it and was around your age and was going through it with you and also has received poor media attention. Mm-hmm. I'd be kind of ideal. Yeah, I agree. Um, someone else that deserves an apology. Okay. And this this hypersexualization started early. Um, but she was kind of a big deal in the 2000s. She was in a lot of like, she got married and remarried to a bunch of Pamela Anderson. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was in a lot of people magazines back in. <laughs> Back in uh, the early 2000s. Um, recently, her son was on the reboot of The Hills. It turns out she's been living in France since Trump got elected. Uh, <laughs> good for her. <laughs> she just was like, literally, hey, all of you, goodbye. I'm getting out of here, which I think is the greatest story I've ever heard about her. So um, she deserves an apology. Wow. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I mean, I'm sure there's so many. <laughs> oh, Misha Barton deserves an apology. Who's Misha that? Barton played Marissa on the OC. Okay. Um, she left after season three, so she was not in season four. She okay. did 
have some drug problems, but she was so harassed by the media and in particular Perez Hilton that she, it put her in rehab. She put on like a tiny bit of normal natural weight and they like harassed her in the media, like fully harassed her. So Misha Barton. Okay. Definitely. I don't, I, I never saw the OC, but, um, fun fact this is hilarious my friend my friend Kate um I hope she's listening to this um one time we were talking about Perez Hilton and she thought that Perez and Paris Hilton were were siblings and I like to hold it over her head something I will say about this time period about the 2000s is that on the opposite side of all of this sort of Hollywood negativity and very specific like needs for women to fit into certain categories, on the East Coast came a TV show and a set of celebrities who were talked about a lot criticized a lot but who I literally don't know where you're going with this who countered all of those they have their own stereotypes and they have their own standards of beauty that they follow but they countered this sort of everybody needs to be skinny blonde use a tiny purse fit a certain description that was plaguing all of the west coast which is that the jersey shore started time so while we had the Lindsay Lohan Paris Hilton Nicole Richie's of the world that we were all trying to like follow and emulate we also had the Snookies of the world and we made fun of the Snookies of the world until we realized that Snooky was being herself the entire time and who doesn't want a friend like Wow who will knock some guy out for like being rude to you at a bar like who doesn't want the crew and the family that is the Jersey Shore on your on your side as opposed to the sort of snake-like behavior that was emulated by every girl on the west coast right I think I mean this is kind of off topic but also I think it should be looked at the evolution of the Kardashian-Jenner family from the early 2000s till now because say what you want about Kim but she she deserves an apology for how she was treated with the sex tape oh my god I can't even believe we forgot about that yes she deserves an apology and she has you know since really created (laughs) probably the one of the biggest empires in the world if not the biggest yeah Um, you know, Taylor Swift, as Taylor Swift would say, the last great American dynasty. Um, but she deserves an apology. But also, I think, I mean, and and I, I don't want to go off on another tangent about this because we've been talking forever. But um, I know, again, people are going to stop listening to us. We're going to stop listening to us. But, you know, you even look at like the um, body type um, that the Kardashian Jenners have embraced over time, you know. Yep early 2000s compared to now. And I think that that's, it's really interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a whole other conversation about it, but I think you're absolutely, she absolutely deserves an apology. Um, there's so many other women that we can, so we many can be talking about, but everyone deserves, everyone deserves an, an apology. You deserve, I deserve an apology. Yeah. to wear 
those stupid low-rise jeans. I deserve an apology for, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No one's ever wronged Um, me. (laughs) No. Uh, Yeah, we should probably like bring this to a close, but have you learned anything? I mean, so much. I definitely obviously learned a lot more of the details about kind of, you know, how the media affected, you know, people's not only their image, but also their own state of mind and Mm -hmm. behavior. But I also learned that this movement of female sexuality has so many levels and so many layers and it goes so far back in time. Um, And it's something that us who us modern feminists who embrace it in the media need to educate ourselves on all the people that came before us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something we didn't talk about and you can cut this out if the episode's going too long. Um, but like the other thing about Brittany is that she is and has been since like her inception, like an icon for the LGBTQ community. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like she's absolutely a gay icon. We Um, had a whole, I took a queer pop culture class last semester. mm -hmm. And basically for like two weeks, we just talked about like what it is to be a queer icon and like people who aren't queer themselves, how they become that. And like Lady Gaga Mm -hmm. and Britney Spears and all these people Mm -hmm. who kind of just like really became queer icons and what that means. And she is definitely one. Which I think fits into like circles back to you watching that episode of Glee because Mm -hmm. I think that that's the whole premise of that episode and being yourself and being whatever level of sexual you are, you know, like sexuality you are and Brittany being an icon for that is, I mean, it, it all ties in, right? Like that's why she's in the lexicon. That's why she's still an icon to this day. Mm-hmm. I agree. I totally agree. We love Brittany. We're here uh, for Brittany. We're here for Brittany. We're here for free Brittany. We're here for free Brittany. I think that's everything. Do we just say bye, Felicia? Ew. <laughs> <laughs>